We're Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Honestly, I love, um, I, I love this morning. You know, um, everything has kind of, God has found a way to work his, his plan and purpose into this morning. And uh, Aidan and I chatted before today and we said, all right, we're going to do a shorter worship set, 20 minutes, and, um, and kind of get into the stuff that we wanted to get into and... I love that God has, has had his way with our hearts and with our lives this morning. And, and can I just say, um, I said this last week, but I want to just say from the outset that that will always remain a trust, a value of this church, that we prioritize Jesus and his presence above every plan, above every idea, above every strategy, above every organized meeting. We want Jesus to invade our hearts and to invade lives and to invade families, and to invade children's hearts. And to, so to that end, we come prepared, we come with a planned sermon and a planned Sunday and a worship set that is planned, but we come every Sunday with our, our hands held open. And I want to encourage you guys to do that too every Sunday. Come expectant, come full of faith, come envisioned to, to trust, to see God move in ways that only He can. I don't want us to leave on a Sunday and say that was a great meeting but know that we haven't actually met with Jesus. I want us to come and maybe a little bit, of, little bit of chaos, a little bit of kind of not sure where we're going, but I would rather have that to know that we've met with Jesus. And that's always going to be um, Anthem Church's uh, heart's cry. I am trying so hard not to say the old name. Um, it's really tricky. I've just got to put it out there. I'm just saying. I think we should have a, a jar for every time someone says that old name, you've got to put $100 towards the building fund. I think that's... Uh, that's what we got to do from now on. <laughs> I feel like I'm an like Ohio State or, or Michigan, you know, not saying the, the name of the other school. So I, that's kind of what I'm navigating right now. <laughs> so what I want to do this morning, a, a, little, a little bit of a different Sunday, obviously with this being the launch of Anthem Church, I want to I, I take the first kind of 10 minutes uh, um, just, to, just to kind of cast our, our eyes ahead over the next kind of 18 months to two years, and just talk a little around um, uh, uh, how we anticipate all of Jesus for everyone becoming a reality. Last week, we, we celebrated our journey over the last kind of two or three years to bring us to the point where we kind of announced all of Jesus for everyone. For those who are here for the first time, all of Jesus for everyone represents our vision or banner statement it's the, it's, it kind of summarizes the essence of who we believe God has called us to be. This, this anthem cry, this rally cry that's been formed by God and given to us from God to, to kind of call us together to glorify Him and to share the gospel with others. And, and, and all of Jesus for everyone has led us to this new name, to this name now being called, our church being called Anthem Church. We, we've kind of made this statement, our name is Anthem Church because our anthem cry is all of Jesus for everyone. And, and that's, that was the summary of last Sunday's message. But while we look back last Sunday, what I want to do this Sunday for the first 10 minutes is just cast our eyes ahead and, and talk about how we anticipate all of Jesus for everyone becoming reality. I, I want to ask you, if you feel comfortable to do this, just to close your eyes for, for a moment. Um, and I'm going to ask you first, as you close your eyes, I want you to picture... Sundays at Anthem Church. I want you to picture the church bustling with a diverse people. People from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, 
gathering from different neighborhoods in the city, even gathering from different cities in Chicagoland. I want you to picture on a Sunday throngs of people interacting, having fun, laughing, making new friends around coffee before, cementing old friendships, making lunch plans after the meeting. I want you to picture people being equipped and enlarged and encouraged by God's word. I want you to picture people being deeply ministered to by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to picture people with hands raised and being lost in worship and enjoying and being refreshed and transformed by the presence of God. Above all else, I want you to picture a church gathering where it really is all about Jesus. All right, you can open your eyes. Sundays are a celebration of Jesus. And so, yes, we, we, we are excited about the fact that we are growing as a church. But I want to say the bigger we grow, the more intentional and comfortable we need to be with smaller organized meetings and get-togethers as well. So yes to Sundays and yes to, to gathering people from across the city. But I want to say yes also to smaller groups in homes throughout the week scattered across the city. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to close your eyes again. I want you to picture a church gathering every month to pray and to call on the name of the Lord and to raise our voices to heaven and to cry out to him. I want you to picture a a church of smaller groups of between five and ten people scattered across the city in homes or in coffee shops or serving the community or serving the church in different ways. Do you perhaps see yourself as part of that picture? I want you to picture yourself being equipped and trained to bring all of Jesus to everyone around you. I want you to picture the kingdom of God making a tangible impact where God has planted you, whether it's at a school or a business or a hospital or a neighborhood. I want you to picture yourself serving and blessing those work colleagues or school friends or patients or neighbors. And I want you to see their hearts beginning to soften and melt as you speak about and show them the love of Jesus. I want you to see yourself enjoying a meal with them, getting to know them, praying with them, and answering their questions about Jesus. All right, you can open your eyes. Did anyone, by the way, get a picture of uh, what Anthem Church's venue is going to look like? Because if you did, just let me know. I'd love to... <laughs> Love to see the inside so we can kind of navigate our way in terms of the, the decor. But I, I want to say this, as a church, as we, we, we have to grow more and more comfortable with a church, with, with this call that is upon Anthem Church, and that is a church without walls, with a, with a clearly demarcated kind of lines between sac- sacred and secular have, are beginning to blur. A people that are ready and equipped to take the gospel out into our communities and into our places of work. And with that in mind and with those pictures that are in your mind, I want you to listen to a few verses from Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus is speaking to and releasing his disciples and speaking to us and releasing us to go and do the work of advancing his kingdom. Jesus says this. These are a few verses from Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Before we get into the details of of the verses that we're going to read, any calling of Jesus is never primarily to a function or a task or a title. The calling of Jesus is always primarily to a relationship, an intimate relationship with him. 
First and foremost, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus calls his disciples, he calls us to himself, and then he commissions his disciples. He, 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 and he does the same with us. He commissions us. He, he gives us authority. There's a verse in John chapter 20 where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And it's important to consider what Jesus is saying. How did the Father send Jesus? Because in the way that the Father sent Jesus, he is sending us out every single day of the week. The Father sent Jesus into a time and place in history. Particularly for Jesus, it was 2,000 years ago into the Middle East. But Jesus was sent into a family. Jesus was sent into a community. Jesus was sent to to hold down a pretty much dead-end job as a carpenter, struggling to make make ends meet. Jesus was sent into the context of, of having to face singleness in a culture that thought singleness was a disease. Jesus was sent into a culture where the word of God and the truth of God was either despised or distorted. But into that context, Jesus was sent with the absolute full resources and backing of heaven. And the same is true for us. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, I am sending you. And so you and I are being sent, have been sent into downtown Chicago in 2019, into a community, into a context, into a a place where we do have to face the realities of the somewhat mundane day-to-day living, a place where we do sometimes have to face the reality of God's word being distorted or or God's word being dismissed. But just like Jesus, we have the full backing and resources of of heaven goes on to say, these are the names of the 12. I love that. Jesus calls, Jesus commissions, but he calls and commissions into a community. I love the fact that Jesus chose 12 to, 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 to draw close to him and to follow him. And part of that 12 were two sets of brothers who ran their own business, two sets who were competing with one another, two fishing enterprises who were competing with one another. And Jesus chose to call the tax collector who was skimming money from both of them. And he calls them into a community and he says to them, he says, all right, we're going to change the world with, with this gospel of love. But we cannot change the world until we learn how to love and honor and respect and learn from and be humble towards one another. Because if we can't get it right in here, we'll never be able to change the world out there. These Jesus sent out to proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus calls, Jesus commissions, Jesus does that into a community. And in order to advance his kingdom, it comes with a cost. We need to learn to to lay down our, our resources, our time, our possessions, our finances. But we can do that because everything that we have been given has been given to us freely by the Father. So really it doesn't come at much of a cost to ourselves. So in order to see all of Jesus for everyone become a reality, firstly, we need to know, we need to be a church where every one of us knows the authority that we have in Jesus. We need to be a church that prays and loves to share the good news of the gospel. And we need to be a church where, where God's kingdom is a living reality here and now in our lives. In other words, our lives taste to others like the goodness of God. And I want to share three quick things on how we anticipate 
this to become a reality. Three kind of uh, uh, means that we're going to introduce into the church. How this, how we anticipate all of Jesus for everyone become a reality. I'm not going to go into detail because this afternoon at one o'clock, around about one o'clock, you're going to receive an email. If you're on our emailing list, you're going to receive an email with all of these details and dates. Something to look forward to. If you're not on our emailing list and you want to receive that, right now you can send me an email. Info at at anthemforall.org. Info at anthemforall.org. And just say, sign me up for the email and I'll make sure that you receive it. Info at anthemforall.org. Send me an email, sign me up, and I will make sure that you get it. Three quick things on how we're going to make this a reality. Firstly, the backbone of Anthem Church. The backbone of Anthem Church meetings are three things. Sundays every week. Small groups or connect groups twice a week in homes. And prayer once a month. That's the backbone of our church. Sundays every week. Small groups or connect groups in homes twice a month, every other week. And prayer Every single month. Secondly, we're introducing, uh, we haven't got a good name for this, so forgive the kind of corny name, but we're introducing a, a lecture series or, or certain conversations around topics that are best discussed by a dialogue rather than me standing and preaching. Um, these are going to be kind of midweek events. Things that we're going to cover over the next couple of years are going to be things like important issues to us as a culture. We're going to talk about things like immigration. We're going to talk about things like the environment. We're going to talk about things like citizenship, sexuality, gender, the LGBTQ plus conversation. We're going to talk about race and injustice. And this topic of race and injustice, plus the fact that we as a church are going to be moving into a far more diverse neighborhood, has kind of stirred something in our hearts to, to, for that to be something of our focus for these lecture series or these conversations. We've planned three or four events through the year under the topic that we've called Neighboring Well. The parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells, and at the end of the parable, he turns to the hearers and he says, now who was the good neighbor? Who was, who was a neighbor to, you know, to the man? And they answered, the one who showed mercy. Being a good neighbor means we show mercy to those around us. And so with that in mind, we're going to, we've got four events planned. Paul and Minda Nichols, who lead a church in downtown Detroit, are going to be visiting to minister here. I'm going to do a lecture conversation around the issue of race and injustice in April. We're working with Sunitha, probably in June, but still to be confirmed, for her to lead her groundworks training, which essentially is navigating the cultural divide in such a way that we can get to know ourselves better and to get to know those around us better. And our leadership summit in September is probably going to carry some of these themes as well. The backbone of the church, a lecture series or conversations, and then thirdly, we've got a training arm that is going to help us to ensure that all of Jesus for everyone becomes a reality. On the screen behind me, you'll see what I sense, what I believe is, 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 is the framework for when all of Jesus for everyone has, is functioning well. When we, are, when we are achieving what God's called us to, to be, that's is what, that, I think, is, is, is what is happening in the church. The lost are saved. The saved are being cared for and pastored. The pastored are being trained. The trained are being empowered, and the empowered are being mobilized. That's what I'm trusting. That's what we're trusting to see at Anthem Church. And, and I think that provides a wonderful framework for a training series, this plus a few other courses that we're going to be doing over the next few years. We're going to talk about sharing, how to share God 
with others. We're going to talk about how to enjoy God, how to find healing and wholeness in the person and presence of Jesus. We're going to talk about how to know God through his word. We're going to talk about how to hear God, not exclusively, but primarily through the prophetic ministry. And we're going to learn how to advance God. And that first kind of, this last one of advance God is is the the, the first training course that we are offering, first two weekends of March. If you want to find out more information, you can log on at anthemforall.org slash training and sign up for leadership in the kingdom of God, which is, which is our f- first course that we're going to be running. Backbone, lecture series, and then our training, bringing focus to God's mission, which is to reach everyone for God's glory by bringing all of Jesus to them. All right. Amen. Enough about strategy. Let's jump into the Word of God this morning. I heard this phenomenal question that was asked this week, and it's, man, it's been playing games with my mind all week. I I love this question. Listen to this. What does God think about when He thinks about you? What does God think about when He thinks about you? I'm convinced every person here, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, has thought about that question in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you've articulated it differently. But I'm convinced every one of us here at some point has thought about and possibly even tried to come up with an answer to that question. What does God think about when he thinks about you? Let me ask you in this way. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? If you're anything like me, I think that you think that God thinks like you think about you. Let me say that again. I think that you think that God thinks like you think about you. I'll explain what I'm trying to say. If you've had a good day, whatever good means to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you've kind of set your alarm uh, throughout the week to get up early to read the Bible and to spend time in God's presence, and, and throughout the week, more times than not, you've managed to wake up instead of hit the snooze button. That might to you speak of, being a, of having a good week. Maybe you've been patient with your spouse or your children. Maybe you've been gracious to your roommate when they didn't replace the toilet roll after using the bathroom or maybe didn't clean out the sink after brushing their teeth. I've been a roommate at, at times and I know what it's like for, to have a roommate who doesn't do that. Maybe you gave up your seat at the bus. Maybe you were kind to a coworker. Whatever a good day means to you. When you've had a good day, you are happy with yourself And you assume that God is happy with you too. But when you have had a bad day, you know or you think you know that God is mad with you. Maybe an old habit has risen up that you're not very happy with. Maybe you've got aggressive at work in a particularly sort of confrontational situation. Maybe you let the dog out and let him stay outside for a little longer on Wednesday night because he peed on your carpet. Or whatever. I mean, you've done something that you're not very proud of. I'm not a dog owner, by the way, so I didn't do that to to our dog. But if you've had a bad day or a bad week, you're not happy with you, and so you assume that God isn't happy with you either. You see, at times we, we think that God takes his cue from the way we think about ourselves in the way that he thinks about us. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? Well, I think that you think that God thinks perhaps like others think about you. We, we get taught from a young age that, that our behavior is so important. 
that the way we behave, the things that we do are going to impact the way that people will respond to us, whether they will like us or not. And so because this whole idea of doing for others is ingrained into our mindset, we assume that our behavior to others is also, or our behavior to others is important to them. It is also therefore important to God, the way we behave and the things that we do. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? I think you think God thinks like the culture thinks about you, like the culture thinks about you. We live in a, in a performance-orientated culture, a culture that demands that we, that, that we perform to a certain standard, and if we don't perform to that standard, you know, or you think you know, it's not going to go well with you. In order for us to be successful, and therefore in order for us to be accepted, we have to do certain things. But all that it does is it causes us to live with this constant sense of, have I done enough? Have I done enough to land that contract, to secure that job, to get that seat in college, to be invited on that second date, or to have my family and friends accept me finally? We live in a culture that demands performance. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? And what is common to all three of those, the way that you think or the way that others think or the way that the culture thinks about you, what is common to all three is this whole issue of doing, doing or behavior. And it's what we think that God thinks about when he thinks about us. But the question I want to kind of challenge us with today is this, but what if God didn't take his cue from those things? What if God, when he thinks about you, didn't think about anything that you had done. It had nothing to do with behavior. So what does God think about when he thinks about you? I want to put it to you today that God loves you. God loves you. What does God think about when he thinks about you? What does God think about when he thinks about me? He loves you and he loves me. Throughout the four Gospels, and if you're not familiar with that phrase gospel, a gospel simply is, a, is, a, is an account an accurate account, an eyewitness account that has been written by, by four different men who were alive at the time of Jesus, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if, as you read those four gospel accounts, we, 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 you'll notice one thing, that Jesus constantly finds himself in the middle of two very distinct and different groups of people. On the one hand, we, we have the so-called sinners, and they're called sinners by the religious leaders, the the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the social and religious outcasts. People who did not look at all like Jesus, but they loved to be with Jesus and Jesus loved to be with them. And on the other hand, we have the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, those religious, professional religious law keepers who love to tell others that behavior is absolutely important. And between these two completely distinct groups is Jesus. But what I find so fascinating is despite the fact that on the surface these two groups look completely different, they actually had this very important thing in common. They both related to God on the basis of their behavior. They both thought that doing was how God viewed each of, each of those groups. The sinners, the so-called sinners. I've done this, therefore God could never love me. And the Pharisees Because I've done this, God has to love me. And I want to suggest this morning that both couldn't be, uh, that that both are absolutely wrong. 
In Luke chapter 15, which is the text that we're going to look at a little bit this morning, in Luke chapter 15, we, it starts off and it shows us that Jesus is, is right in between these two particular groups, the, the, the law keepers and the law breakers. In verses 1, 2, and 3, you can look in your Bible if you have one or just follow on the screen behind me. Luke 15, verse 1, 2, and 3 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. The parable, if you're not familiar, a parable is simply a, a story that Jesus would tell to, to in some way communicate an important spiritual truth. And generally, a parable had two kind of main points. One, to show something about God to the hearers and to challenge the hearers about how they see themselves. And so Jesus begins to tell them three parables, three of the most well-known parables that are probably out there. And the one that we're going to focus on is the last parable, the parable of the prodigal son. It's the most well-known and probably the most shocking, especially to those who were familiar with the cultural nuances that Jesus was beginning to pull out. So Jesus tells the Pharisees and the so-called sinners, he tells them both this particular parable, the story of a father who has two sons. And the younger son comes to the father and he says to the father, Father, uh, I, I want what is due to me, my inheritance. And, and for some reason, you are, you are not dying, and it's, it's frustrating me, and, and, and I'm not getting any younger, and I want to use my money, so, so I want you to liquidate your estate and give me what is mine, even though I am asking, asking it of you before time. Essentially, what he's saying is, Father, I wish you were dead, but I want everything that you can give me. He wanted the blessing that came from the Father without the intimacy of relationship with the Father. I mean, the tax collectors, I can imagine, literally are going, oh my goodness, that's cold. I mean, even I wouldn't do that. And I think we might even have that response to think, how dare he ask for everything the Father could give him but not want the relationship? Does that sound familiar to maybe some of us, how we have at times interacted with God? Give me blessing, God, but I don't want the intimacy that comes with that. Unexpectedly, the father does exactly what the son asks. He liquidates his estate, and he gives his son everything. And the younger son disappears and goes off to a far country, and over a period of time, blows his entire inheritance on wild living and, and on prostitutes. And, and he's, at his, he's at his absolute worst, and, and finds himself as a, as a young Jewish boy working as a hired farmhand in a foreign country feeding pigs. And, and in that moment, as Jesus tells that story, both the so-called sinners and the Pharisees come together in that moment, and they kind of let out this collective gasp, a young Jewish boy at his absolute worst feeding pigs. And so he comes to his senses, this young Jewish boy, and he says, you know, maybe, maybe if I go back to my father and I plead and I beg for forgiveness, maybe he will be kind enough to allow me to earn my way back into his good books. And so the young brother prepares this speech in verse 18. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I, I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he, and he went to his father. And then verse 20 in the text contains one of the most mind-blowing statements in perhaps all of the gospels, if not all of scripture. Verse 20 says this, but while he was still a long way off, 
his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Has it ever crossed your mind that what God thinks about when he thinks about you is love and compassion? I want you to think for a moment, your, 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 your darkest moment. I want you to think for a moment, a, a, a time in your life when you have been, when, when you are caught deep in sin, where you have done everything you could to, to dishonor and disown God, where you could do everything you could to be as far away from Him as possible. Think about that moment for a second. And if you stopped yourself in that dark moment and thought to yourself, I wonder what God thinks about when He thinks about me right now, would it ever cross your mind? That God, in that moment, when you think you are furthest away from him, in that moment, that God would be filled with compassion for you. And I struggle with that, because I know that of the things that I've done. And perhaps you struggle with that idea, because I, I, I don't think we fully grasp or understand the magnitude of the love that the Father has for us. I imagine as Jesus is telling us, the sinners and the, and the lawbreakers are in stunned silence because they realize that they are the younger son. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, are probably like, yeah, exactly, the younger son, that is you, because I definitely know it's not me. Well, enter the older brother into the parable. They're just about to find out how they fit into Jesus' story. Jesus continues with the parable and he, he tells about how the, the older brother is absolutely furious with the father. He goes to the father and he says, he, he says, he says Dad, this, this son of yours, not this brother of mine, the son of yours has wasted all of the money that you've given him on wild living and prostitutes. And then he says in verse 29, listen to these words, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. That's the older brother's version of the younger brother's speech. All these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. And now that he's back, you throw him a party? Essentially, he's saying, how could you love him because of all that he's done? And he's saying, because I've done all the right things, you have to love me. Does that sound a little like the sinners and the Pharisees? Look at verse 31 with me. The father replies, my son, the father said, you have always obeyed? No, it, it doesn't say that. And think of, I mean, he, the, the son says, father, I've done everything you've asked me and I've always obeyed. And the father doesn't say, my son, the father said, you have always obeyed? No, he says, my son, you are always with me. And I think what Jesus is trying to communicate to the Pharisees and to the sinners is that to the Father, with is more important than obey. And to the Father, with is more valuable than do. Verse 32, but we had to celebrate. We had to be glad. It's the only response that was possible because this brother of yours was dead. He wasn't with me. But now he's alive. He was lost to me, but now he's found. I want to ask you this question. Which son did the father love more? Which son did the father love more? The one who obeyed or the one who rebelled? Which son did the father love more? Let me ask you this. Who does God love more? You 
or the person sitting next to you? You or the person sitting next to you? Who who has done more? Who has achieved more? Who has earned more? Who has obeyed more? Let me ask you this. Which... Who does the father love more, you or the person that is still making their way back from the party right now? Who does the father love more? Think about that. What if what God thinks about when he thinks about you has nothing to do with what you do? You see, to help us answer the question, what we have to realize and understand what God did. God removed the whole idea of doing away from the equation by sending his son Jesus. Jesus fulfilled every single righteous act that the father demanded be fulfilled and Jesus fulfilled that on our behalf. Not only that, but Jesus died on the cross and, and, and paid for every single sin that anyone could ever commit so that when God looks at us, he takes it, the whole idea of doing is taken away from the equation when God thinks about you or me. John 3.16 communicates that so powerfully. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I love the way that that verse starts. For God so loved. That is God's response to us falling short of his expectations. Have you ever fallen short of someone's expectations? I know you have. I've I've fallen short of my parents' expectations repeatedly when I was going through a difficult time at high school. I was a good math student and I, and, I, and, I, and I got 100% on a math test, and there was a bonus question that I was struggling with, a bonus question. And I, and I remember that the teacher left the model answer right in front of me by mistake. And I, and I cheated on that test, and my parents found out, and they were so disappointed. This is a bonus question. I mean, it wasn't even to, to pass or fail. It was, and I had gotten 100% already. I mean, it was just the most ridiculous thing I'd ever done. And their response was not love. The Bible says, for God so loved. For God so loved the world. That's the dimensions of God's love. If God so loved the world and you and me are in the world, then God so loved you and me. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. God initiates this idea, this relationship, this, 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 this opportunity to have intimate relationship with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's what it cost God in order to restore relationship with us. He gave what was most precious and most dear to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, that's what God wants from us. That's it. Not earning, not working, not doing, not anything. Just for us to say, Father, I trust you. I trust you and I received your love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the consequence. That's the ultimate outcome of us receiving the love of the Father is life and life to the full. What does God think about when God thinks about you? He loves you. He loves you. I'm going to invite the worship team, if you guys wouldn't mind coming up. We're going to stand together, and we're going to just worship for a moment, just another five minutes or so. We're going to worship for a moment, and then we're going to go back into a time of ministry. We're going to be another 10 minutes or so this morning. But I would love for us to stand together, if we can, this morning. And let's uh, go back into a time of worship and let's think about the question that I asked. What does God think about when he thinks about you? Let's pray as we worship team gets themselves ready. Father, we thank you this morning.
for your incredible love for us. I pray in Jesus' name that your love would break into every single heart today. Your love, Lord God, would invade every single part of our lives. That we would not hold anything back from you today, Lord God. That we would realize that we would come to an understanding and a revelation of the fact, Lord God, that, that you have removed doing from the equation. And what you are desperate for, what you long for, is being, is with. That's on your heart, Lord God. So, Lord, as, I, as, we, as we kind of bring this meeting into a land today and as we, as we worship this, and, and lift our voices in song, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to massage this truth into our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church. All of Jesus for everyone.